I know when you ask me about these injuries, and, and, and I give you my thoughts, if you really want to figure it out, I think Danny O'Neill has the best uh, translations for me. Ooh, it's kind of heavy. I like it. I like it. All good folks. That is the name of the collective. It's a group of producers in and beat makers in London. Yoga Dogs is the name of that track, courtesy of Upbeats. I'm Danny O'Neill. This is the Dang Apostrophe, and welcome. I, I don't know if it's quite called fancy, but yeah, we got some music up in here. A little bit of a drop, and this is episode eight. I'm going to be joined here in just a second by one of my friends, Greg Bishop, who now works at Sports Illustrated. I worked with Greg I guess we've only worked together once uh, at the Seattle Times 2006 to, I think it was two or three years there before he left for the New York Times, but someone I've known for a long time, going back to 2004, 2005, when he first moved to Seattle, grew up in the Tacoma area. We're going to talk about Kyler Murray, and I really think that the quarterback market in this offseason is starting to take a little bit of shape, and I'd be surprised at this point if we see Aaron Rodgers play anywhere other than Green Bay. We'll see how it goes, but I'd be surprised if that happens. When it comes to Kyler Murray, there's now a question about whether or not he's going to play in Arizona or how he feels about playing in Arizona, given it was a missive is the word that we settled on. Um, It is a significant statement from his agent, which was delivered uh, in kind of a, well, it was a hard to read. It was in all caps. It was 500 words. It was single spaced. It felt like it was it was it was a declaration that was made with some grammatical problems, but we'll get into all of that. And then the question of what it means for Russell Wilson and what the expectation is for his offseason. We know that he it's now gone the post Super Bowl period in which he's not making it wasn't even veiled clearly critical comments about the direction of the franchise at this time last year. That's been avoided. I don't know what that means, though. Uh, Bob Condote in the Seattle Times had a story this week about how all signs point to him being back, and I would agree with that. There's nothing that's happened that I would say is an indicator that he's he's not coming back or that it's going to be revisited. But the other thing is, I don't know if you can tell at this point, because if, if he did, if he did want out, I think Seattle would prefer that he kept that quiet so it doesn't create a sense that Seattle's going to have to take whatever it can get for him. Um, Russell has a no-trade clause, so unless he wants to leave Seattle, he's not going anywhere. But but really, that the uncertainty about Kyler Murray and, and Murray having finished his third year in the league and I, I thought finished pretty poorly, it's clear that there's been some tension between between Kyler Murray and the franchise, including the, I guess it's the the latest decla- the latest way to de- declare that you are uh, un- displeased with the direction of your team is to strip all references of said team off of your social media accounts. Um, and yeah, Kyler Murray did that. He then also made a statement later about he was never about nonsense. I was like, wait a minute, you're never about the nonsense, but you did all the taking mentions of the team out of your, your Twitter account. So what's there? The, the letter from his agent, Eric Burkhart, which was released to various media reporters, made it pretty clear there's some teeth to it. And we're joined now by Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated, who's here on the dang apostrophe. 500 words, all caps, single spaced. There was no copy editor. 
And as someone who's currently looking for work or available for work, I, I got to say, I, I, think, I think I could have had a, pol- a positive impact on Kyler Murray's messaging on this one. Yeah, absolutely. And, well, you know this better than anyone, Danny. Like, uh, you know, the, the value of an editor in your life, and I have many, including one for my life specifically, which would be my wife, is uh, cannot be overstated. And if you ever want your editor to know how important they are, I would take this statement in all of its glory and I would hand it over because, you know, this to me was like, you want something, you know, there are ways to get it and you decide to do something totally different entirely. I just couldn't make sense of it. It was, um, I think we would use the word missive. That's what came to mind when I read it. Yeah. It's like, I mean, from the beginning statement from Kyler's agent, Eric Burkhart, Kyler wants to be direct with loyal Arizona Cardinal fans kind of thought i was like what about the disloyal what about the bandwagon like you you want to be direct with the but you want to be direct to everybody it's not just loyal arizona fans like yes they're the main but it, it continues direct with loyal arizona cardinal fans and the great community of the valley and stating his two very important goals and objectives one he absolutely wants to be your long-term qb two he desperately wants to win the Super Bowl. You're like, all right achieving both goals will take incredible commitment from himself and the entire organization Despite all of Kyler's energy being focused on the future, he is very proud of the franchise's extreme turnaround in competitiveness and success since his arrival. And this is all like a big, long lead up. When you get through it, it's basically we asked for more money than they're willing to give us, right? Like that's, that's essentially what's going on here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would say a couple of things. The first is, um, you know, to everybody listening out there, when you use all caps or exclamation points or any manner of, uh, you know, bullet point listing in order to bolster your point, you are having a, the opposite effect. You know, this is not something where I think Twitter should have like guidelines. Like you just, the all caps people always get me, you know, when I see an all caps response, I'm like, this is going to be a weird day. And when I saw that statement, I was thinking the same thing. Like, you, you just, uh, you, all you're doing is outing yourself as someone who's not great with the English language. And I think that should be sort of a baseline. The other thing that I think that statement did that's important in terms of the next NFL season is to me, it left open as many questions, if not more. And I think when you're looking at that, you're saying, okay, so this guy wants more money. That's, you know, the quarterback market is the quarterback market. And their argument is essentially that essentially that other guys could pay more. Like that's something I could kind of get behind if that's mm-hmm. what you just came out and said. But the statement instead is like, we're awesome. This is awesome. Like, why, why wouldn't you want to convince the bandwagon fans first? You know, they're the ones that you need to hang on to. The diehards are going to be just fine with whatever happens. And I just felt like if they were trying to send a message, the message they sent is he's unhappy. And I don't think that's necessarily what they were intending. Yeah, they. I don't know if if the intended audience is the fans or if it's Kyler, right? Like this is his agent and the agent works for the player. But I don't know if this is a strategy that the agent hatched and said, hey, Kyler, this is how we're going to win hearts and minds. Or if this is a client who very specifically is unhappy and wants something done. And the agent is like, I've got to do what my client wants. I need to do something very, very public. Um, I'm interested in the secondary level of this, which is sort of what it sets the stage for this off season. 
because there's a couple of different quarterbacks that are in play, including potentially Seattle's quarterback. And if, if Russell Wilson doesn't want to be in Seattle, which is the only way he moves, he's probably not going to follow this path. But I think it's interesting to look at, okay, how does a quarterback try and take control? I, it's very interesting to think that Kyler Murray might have overplayed his hand here, or maybe he's looking, and the, the next threat is that he's going to go play baseball. I think this is the first domino in in the quarterback market this offseason. Yeah, and to me, you make an interesting point about the agent. Like, I kept thinking when you were talking about, like, when my wife must feel this way, right? Like, when your significant other does something that's just, like, uh, embarrassing and can't be taken back and it's public, you know, and, and you have to sort of go to bat for them because this is the person that you married and this is your family, and you don't agree with what they did and you think right that maybe they're overreaching, but yeah, you know, this is like, I got, she's got to support me and I'll do on a daily basis. And you know, that's what she signed up for. And so, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that the agent would be like, I need to appear strong to Kyler Murray. We got a big extension coming up somewhere and I need to have his back. Even if I think this might be on the border of unreasonable, and to me, it really speaks to sort of the ecosystem that is like finding, developing, and keeping good an NFL quarterback. I mean, the the, the basic problem is this is, I, I think, the most subjective position in sports. Like, it's so hard to get it right, and it's so hard to be right continually. You know, you could make another marriage analogy there. Look at this last season. You have Mac Jones lighting the world on fire. He was supposed to be the worst of the guys that came out. You have Tua Tagovailoa, you know, becoming a, a legitimate NFL starter, which looked like an impossibility a couple of years ago. Ryan Tannehill proved why, you know, like there, there are guys sort of in that second tier. You know, I'd, I'd put them in varying degrees, but whether mm -hmm. it's a Russell Wilson, a Kyler Murray, a Ryan Tannehill, I'd throw Dak Prescott. Where yep. there are only 10 to 15 of these guys walking the earth, and there are 32 teams, and... When you have a guy that's close enough to the top tier, it's really hard to, to sever ties with him, you know? And when I look at the NFL quarterback market, I think that's partly what's in play. If, you, if you're Tennessee, are you happy Ryan Tannehill's your quarterback? Well, you're happy that it's him and not, you know, uh, Tyrod Taylor. But do you think that you can legitimately win a Super Bowl unless it's like, say, the Seahawks, you know, in New York, where... The quarterback played really well, uh, young, um, didn't make a lot of mistakes, but you know, it was the Legion of Boom, some uh, fruit baskets every every December around Christmas time. And it's not that these aren't great quarterbacks, they're, they're great players. It's that like, it's so hard to get that position right for evaluators. You see it in the draft every single year. And then when you have a guy that you're not 100% sold on, but you know you probably can't do better, you got to pay him a ton of money. In fact, I think Russell's a good example here. Like when he signed that big extension, I had one of his, you know, somebody that knows him well text me and they said, I'm happy never hate on a player getting more money, but they're not going to win the Super Bowl. And I, and that was five years ago. And I've always felt every season since like their ceiling was max one playoff win. And even as they're going to take a run at it now, I think it's the same thing. Like, are they good enough to get in the playoffs? Absolutely. Did Pete do an awesome job with the defense last year? Are there reasons to think that they can win games? Absolutely. But do I see them as a Super Bowl contender, like a true one? It would take a lot to fall in that realm. And to me, that's the quarterback conundrum in a nutshell. And what you're seeing now in Arizona is they're, they're right in the thick of it. If you're Arizona, 
do you make Kyler Murray happy? Yeah, for the same reason I just said. I mean, there yeah. just aren't enough of those humans walking this earth. And look at, I love Brock Osweiler. I would never denigrate Brock Osweiler. We had a very fun reporting trip. So, like, did, this should not be taken the wrong way. But, like, look at who they had before him. You know, you're just going guy to guy to guy. It's an older veteran who's at the end in Carson Palmer. It's, you know, it's all, it's, it's just, it is these sort of journeyman, you know, Josh McCown probably played there because he played for every team in the league. But it's like the guy you get when you want the guy is the best way to not win. And I think we're seeing that in San Francisco, right? Like, Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. There's another Domo. He should be a starter next year. He's capable of winning a Super Bowl. He was, you know, five minutes away in Miami. But to win, you need a team like they have, which is stacked from top to bottom. You look at some of the best defensive players in the NFL. You look at good skill guys. You look at, in theory, a very smart and, you know, schematically brilliant coach. And what's holding them back the last couple of years? It's the quarterback position. And so... When Arizona was healthy last year, when DeAndre Hopkins was playing, Kyler Murray looked amazing. You're talking about him as an MVP frontrunner. And is that replicable? You know, it's not easy, but what's your alternative, I guess? You know, there's no good quarterbacks in this draft, in theory, which just means one of them will be a Hall of Famer because we can't predict this stuff. And Mm -hmm. I think the worst place to be in some ways in the NFL is having the 7th through 15th best quarterback. Because... You, you're going to feel every year like you have a chance. You know, Kirk Cousins, another example, he'd probably be to the bottom of that 15, you know, and does everything in the world to get ready to play. But he, he caps your ceiling, you know. And there's just there's not going to be a championship without an incredible team around him. And then when he plays poorly, like he did play poor, worse last year, you know, it wrecks your season. And so it's almost better to be like, okay, we're going to take some Hail Marys and maybe we hit on Tom Brady at some point. You know, a guy like Mills in Houston seems like he might be pretty good, you know? Um, that, to me, would be sort of luck. But at least you're like... I think there are a lot of teams that start the season with playoff aspirations, and then there are a few teams that start the season with Super Bowl aspirations. And having a high-level, highly-paid not quite top tier quarterback. I think it's a, actually a, a good first world problem, but a hard way to exist in the NFL. There was a NBA assistant coach. He's now a head coach, Dwayne Casey, who had a phrase of good enough to get you fired. And what he meant was that there are players who are good enough to convince you that they're either a strong starter or even a star. And they're not quite that. And it's kind of the, in the NBA, it's the player that averages 20 points a game, but doesn't want the ball or can't get you a bucket when you need it. Like that's, that's the definition of a star in the NBA is you've got two minutes left. You absolutely need to score on this possession and you have no doubt about who's going to take the shot and, and that, that you believe he's going to make it. He won't always make it. And that's kind of what I see like Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr as quarterbacks who they can average 20 points. But when you need that drive late in the game, like you, you kind of feel that they're not going to be able to get it for you. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, I just, I don't, they're not able to get you the bucket when you need it. And with Kyler, if I'm Arizona, I don't think I'm paying him right now. It's three years in. Most guys who are number one overall picks since the new CBA have not been paid before their fifth season. Like Cam Newton didn't get his extension until. In, until after he played his fourth season. Now, recently, I think Wentz and Goff both got him 
after three years, but that's kind of, that's kind of an example of why you don't do it, right? Like if you if you look at it, if if I'm Arizona, I'm saying I'm not paying him yet because I don't like the way last season ended, and I hate the the, the playoff performance. Like I felt I felt Kyler kind of caved and like gave in. Like that pick he threw from the end zone was sort of the ultimate effort throw where the quarterback's just like, well, what do you expect me to do? I got to do something. And then he, 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 he kind of, it's not that he stopped trying. It's that he stopped playing smart. Um, but with Kyler, and this is the other thing is you're not quite sure what he's going to do if you don't pay him. Cause he, he might, he might not play for you. Yeah. hundred percent. And you know, I love that Casey quote, cause I think it's very accurate, you know? Uh, and, and I would use a counter example of like, there are separators for guys that even have the same tag and fall in the same fear. Like to me, Matthew Stafford's playoff run is a good example of what we're talking about. He didn't just make one of those plays. He made like five or six of them, you know, and he had bad plays in a lot of playoff games and they were very close to losing a couple of him. But when he needs to make that throw, on third down, no look through three defenders to cup on the slant on the deep slant. I mean, that's that's the kind of throw that wins you a Super Bowl. So we can say whatever we want about Matthew Stafford, and the same goes for Kyler Murray and every other quarterback we're talking about who's not in the Aaron Rodgers tier. And you can look at them and say, like, when you need that play, that's where that's where it comes in. Like that's exactly I think what Casey's talking about. With Kyler, the the sort of concern I would have is. You know, I, I think the NFL is kind of a rumor monger place. One of my favorite parts of your new Substack uh, podcast and endeavor here is the um, sort of poking holes in journalistic, uh, you know, practices. I have not found one to be wrong yet. And <laughs> I would be careful. Like, when, I, when I look at a lot of the rumors around Kyler Murray, there just seems like enough stuff where you feel like there has to be something there. You know, I think I... My understanding going into last season, and this is not like deeply sourced knowledge, but there was a lot of smoke going around that he wanted to play baseball, that his plan was to play his rookie contract and go play for the Yankees. And enough that like I kind of looked into trying to write him and he didn't really want to do it. Um, last year, I tried to write the Cardinals and sort of their build, you know, from paternity leave onwards. So that would have been like mid-October. Never heard back from the team, which is very unusual. And then you start to see this stuff that gets planted that's just very normal course of doing business, whether it's, you know, he's distracted or the work ethic stuff. And in my experience, generally, when there's the depth of rumor out there, there's at least something to it, even if a lot of it is for negotiations. And we would be foolish to think that agents and people close to Kyler are positioning him for a public war of words. But, you know, it just like to like I would pay him because I don't think they can find a better option because I think there's four good teams in that division, especially if San Francisco gets its quarterback situation figured out. Uh, you know, it could see Rogers there potentially or any number of the dominoes. I think the Seahawks are good enough to be in the eight, nine, 10 win kind of conversation. Um, and I think if, if you let Kyler go or you let him sit, then you're essentially going back to another rebuild, which they've been in one you know, a while back, and I, I just think I would. But to your point, I think it's difficult to because if you're not 100% sold on a guy and you're going to pay him, so let's say the starting point's $40 million a year, you know, the, in general, that doesn't work in the NFL. And, you know, people make it so much of Tom Brady's contract. I think it, it's a little bit overplayed in terms of how, the kind of discount he took. He was still highly compensated through most mm -hmm. of his career. 
but even those like five to 10 million shaves or, you know, one year make it 15 to go get guys like that makes a difference. Four good players for $5 million, you know, the kind of players the Rams used around the pieces they paid a lot of money for and gave up a lot of picks for. They start a ton of third and fourth and fifth and sixth round picks and like that kind of hit rate is what builds out your team when you mortgage your future, you know, every, every uh, spring. And so, you know, I, I would pay him and I wouldn't feel comfortable paying him. And to me, that is the modern life of a franchise with NFL quarterbacks. And it, it's actually truly remarkable to me, the, the number of resources and money and thought and people that have to like, look at this calculus of like, how can a guy succeed and like, can't figure it out. I mean, it is such an inexact science. And I think it speaks in part to, I always laugh when people call somebody a system quarterback, like they all are. The best ones make the systems incredible. They allow the coaches to open up the systems. They allow for schematic wrinkles and cool marriages like we've seen with Rodgers and LaFleur and Green Bay. But it's not, it shouldn't be a denigrative term. Like the, the success of a quarterback depends on having good players around them. You know, look at what Brady did in Tampa when he finally had some amazing receivers. Look at what Matthew Stafford did this year when, you know, he had a, a solid offensive line and great skill guys. And, you know, I, I think that that's the, one of the hard parts of making these decisions. It's like, will a guy work like I want him to? Will he represent us like I want him to? Both of those are questions in this case. And then it's like, do I have the team around him? And that's where that would tip it to me to signing Kyler because they have a good team. Their defense is improving. I love Isaiah Simmons. You know, I think that Chandler Jones, one of the best pass rushers in the league, and they got a ton of receivers and, it's, and a, really a, a lot of speed. And so do you kind of waste the window because this guy is maybe not ideal? doing that but then I'd, it'd be the kind of thing where you cut the check for the you know gucci purse you know and it's like oh man that that hurt but it'll keep me out of trouble for another two weeks so you know ultimately my own mental health is worth worth uh, considering this equation too they had a comma in it the price had a comma in it should buy some time there's going to be a couple commas in, in kylo murray's contract let's shift to the the first thing that i thought of when i saw this was russell wilson and I can't tell if Russell looks at this and thinks, like, that's the way you do it, man. That's how you put pressure on a team. <laughs> or he's like, eh, I've kind of been down that road, Kyler. I don't know if you're going to get what you want. How do you think Russ is approaching this offseason? Well, I'd start by saying um, maybe he learned a lesson to not use the man of the year platform to, <laughs> to start this conversation. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, to me, they're in a really interesting situation. Like if I were sitting there as Jody Allen and my choice is Pete, John and Russell or one of them, you know, essentially, if you're going to start over, maybe you retain John, give him personnel power and, you know, uh, go in a totally different direction. I would have probably made the same decision to make, you know, I think that all three of them will be back. I think they're going to make another run. I think all the questions about Pete's age are hilarious because, you know, it's it's not the whole age is nothing but a number thing. It is actually like at 70, he looks less tired and old than I do at 42. I mean, I would have no concern over that at all. And, you know, obviously Russell didn't play his best last year, but let's let's give him injury. Let's give him chaos. Let's give him, you know, we'll give mallet him finger. Yeah, we'll get we'll give him all the breaks that are, you know, potentially out there. The, the problem, I think, is sort of the baseline of, like, 
I think their ceiling is the playoffs. You know, if everything goes well, you're in a tough division. There's no reason. The Rams cap situation is continually misstated. You know, they, they got Gurley coming off the books. They got golf money coming off the books. They have enough money to make at least one other run before the bottom that we've been predicting truly drops out. You know, I think the Cardinals have a very complete team. Same with the 49ers. Both those teams have questions at quarterback. And I think when you look at the division, there's four teams. Seattle has the weakest when you look at it top to bottom. Now, it's not a bad one. This, is, to me, is the best division in pro football. And Pete's proven, I think, again last year, that they can take guys that maybe aren't celebrated and turn them into something that's, that's pretty formidable. I mean, there's no reason to say that that defense wasn't sort of a revelation in the second half of last season. You got DK Metcalf, you know, potentially can add some pieces in terms of offensive line, the draft. But, you know, it, I, to me, Seattle feels like Groundhog Day. 12s are spoiled. Let's just say that. I'm sorry to tell you, 12 listeners. Like, they, don't they, do they it, have, man. Don't tug, on Super, don't, don't tug on Superman's cape. Don't insult Seattle fans on the internet. You know what happens. This has been a remarkable run that should be celebrated for Pete and for John. But we are in a situation where they, they're just not going to be good enough to contend unless everything goes perfectly. And in an NFL season, that almost never happens. So... The question is, why do you keep going into the year knowing that your offensive line is not to your quarterback's like, knowing that you're one injury from a key guy from having your season derailed, and knowing that your defense is sort of like, uh, you know, the island of misfit toys, which seems to be something that they like and can really make into like a good, solid thing. But then I look at the Rams and I go, oh, man, <laughs> you know, like that's that's kind of my starting point. And so, like, there is a, a nuclear option where you blow the whole thing up and start over and go back to, you know, how it was a really long time ago. Like, it's hard to emphasize when you were at the Seattle PI in the early 2000s and I was covering the Seahawks for the Seattle Times before you came over and just how, like, amazing it was when they, like, beat the Rams one time or just, like, how the, that run in 05, what it felt like because, you know, my childhood growing up in Tacoma – you know, watching these teams, being able to get tickets for the Broncos game every year on the day of, you know, because my dad and I were Broncos fans as kids. You know, I mean, it's just like from there to here is amazing. You know, you could write a book about leadership. And I, I get the like want to hold on to it. But I think the situation is tricky in a very Kyler Murray-ish way. And that like they basically said that we think we have a good enough chance to keep trying this, you know, and whether that chance is good enough or not, I think that's the debatable part. And that's the relevant part to this off season. You know, he said on the, I can't remember which show he wanted to win three Super Bowls. Like this, does this team look like a three Super Bowl winning team? No. So while every signs, every sign in the world indicates he's going to come back and they're all going to be back together well, like you said one thing and then you're doing this and the two things are not going to match. So to me, there's still a calculus involved there, you know, and I think we would be silly to disregard how how intentional he is. Let's use that word in terms of like considering his future, his legacy, what he wants that obituary to read, you know, 500 years down the line. And I think um, I think it's sort of a foregone conclusion here in your old stomping ground. But I think that that sort of discounts the way he thinks, you know, and I, I, obviously him and I um, aren't super close now, but 
he's a very calculated guy. Like he he would bring an an a Microsoft phone to Microsoft events, so he would insult them by pulling out an iPhone. Like that's a level of thought put into interaction that I don't think should be discounted in this situation. I mean, to me, it's still relevant, you know. And to me, the Giants still just kind of hang there, you know. They got, they got two top ten picks. Kenny Galladay. Yeah. They have some decent linemen. Uh, they have Kenny Galladay. They have Saquon Barkley. They have Sterling Shepard. They have Tony, the young kid burner. I mean, that's an offense you can go in and succeed in. And what have we seen the last two years? Tom Brady goes to Tampa. Great offense. Tears it up. Uh, Matthew Stafford goes to the LA Rams. Great offense. Tears it up. I mean, the rivalries in football are sort of diminishing. These are guys that spend all this time together at passing camps and Manning Academy and, uh, you know, Von Miller has pass rush summits, and now these guys are getting, they're like, I just feel like integrating isn't the difficult thing it might have been before. You know, these guys are in some ways sort of mercenaries. And there's always the potential for disaster when you do what the Rams did last season. But, you know, I think that that, that plays into it, too. It's, it's a very complicated calculus for something that seems so certain at this point. I, I will say one thing. If Russ is going to make a statement, don't don't do it in all caps. Don't 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 do it single spaced. Don't, like don't don't do it single spaced and and hire a copy editor because hiring a copy editor will avoid will av- avoid like travesties in the in the English language uh, that such as this. I'm going to read back from the Eric Burkhart missive on behalf. It was important to Kyler that his proposal reflected all of the following: provides financial protection, is in line with the current QB market that compares his results alongside relative relevant comps, lowers his 2023 salary cap number to allow the Cardinals to re-sign other deserving teammates and add additional free agents and most... That's too long. Plus, we've got a verb tense problem where it reflected all of the following. That's written in the past tense. Provides financial protection. That's the present tense. Like, it begs for a copy editor. It begs for a copy editor. Absolutely. And, you know, I, th- I think we should lend t- toward creativity here. You know, why couldn't Russell do his in prayer form or, um, you know, I think, yeah, Von Miller, like he did that awesome Ram spoof video. So why not, you know, do a video spoofing some like great contract negotiation? I think that um, if you want to get your message out publicly, the best way to do it is either be clear, which no one's ever going to do. Let's just take that one off the table or. Get, get people's attention. You got to know your audience. So uh, screaming, Twitter, whatever you got to do, I think all of it's on the table. Last thing for you, Greg. Uh, you and I have a fair amount of familiarity with athlete charities. 2007, we wrote a series, I believe it was five, five stories, um, about athlete charities. It ranged from Sean Alexander buying the old uh, community center in his, in his hometown and letting the weeds grow to the point that they had inmates come out and cut it. Uh, Ray Allen getting a death threat from the former executive director of his event. Like we're in, in and out. And so I'm always particularly interested when you see a situation rear its head, uh, the Hugh Jackson foundation. Have you followed this? Yeah. (laughs) So the Hugh Jackson, this, this is filed into the category of unnecessary L's. When you're a public personality, like I'm convinced there's certain times where you're just going to take an L, whether you did something wrong or you've been caught up in a situation and you're just, you're going to have to take that out. Though that's an unavoidable part of being public. The the mission of every person should be to not suffer the unnecessary L. Like don't don't it, it's it, in the way that McNulty in the wire says don't answer any phones, bunk. 
Like don't avoid the unnecessary L. Like when you and this is this is maybe the most ridiculous unnecessary L. For those who haven't followed it, Hugh Jackson, uh, former Browns coach, former Raiders coach as well. Uh, he he's now in charge at Grambling, and Grambling hired Art Bryles, who oversaw. I, I think the count that I saw was fifty-eight issues of, um, yeah, fifty-nine. Uh, I think fifty-nine issues of assault against women, like misbehavior by Baylor football players while he was the coach. Like it's very clear that I mean that it's really ugly the kind of actions assaults that players had perpetrated before they got on campus and were still recruited and while they were there. Art Bryles gets hired at Grambling. The Hugh Jackson Foundation releases a statement. The recent hiring of Art Bryles, a member of the Grambling State University football staff, has caused confusion and concerns that we would like to address. Like, no, nobody's asking you to address it. Nobody's, nobody's asking the Hugh Jackson Foundation to step forward. The Hugh Jackson Foundation has been dedicated to fighting against all forms of sexual abuse and exploitation, as well as all as other forms of racial and social bias. We have a clear understanding of the role that coaches and others who have a position of trust play in the lives of those they meet. We also uh, understand the process of identifying risks, helping others to heal, and the importance of prevention. We believe that through the hiring of Coach Bryles and the well-developed program we have in place, this hire will be instrumental in teaching others the importance of knowing how to prevent victimization. This is an unnecessary L. Nobody, nobody was asking them to do this. And Dan Murphy of, the, of ESPN then tweets out, the Hugh Jackson Foundation collected $158,000 in 2019, which is the most recent tax info available. It paid $115,000 to its sole paid employee, who's the person who released that letter, and spent another $15,000 on travel. It looks like they gave out roughly $4,000 in grants. Oh, wow. Holy cow. $4,000 in grants. So essentially, essentially, and you and I were familiar with this, athlete charities can be things that are set up to essentially pay people that are close to you. And they're, they're, in the best case, it's an opportunity to leverage a person's status to collect more money and bring it to an issue. In the worst case, they become extremely inefficient in that you're paying a ton of money to have a very minimal effect. So in this case... $158,000 $158,000 in, in contributions in 2019. It paid its executive director well more than half that, more than two-thirds of that, $115,000, another $15,000 in travel, and $4,000 in grants. They took $158,000 in, in contributions and turned it into $4,000 of work. Wow. Well, I have so many thoughts on this. Let's just start with the first one uh, is, you know, as we consider new frontiers here, Danny O'Neill, I think we should do a sports consulting business because I can help all of these people. You know, the first thing is, if all you want to get out of your foundation is a little bit of good PR, it's probably better to just show up somewhere and help an existing organization. That would be part of my mm-hmm. thing. Bullet point one on my list would be no all caps statements. Bullet point two <laughs> would be don't do a foundation for the wrong reasons because people are going to figure out what you're doing and these things take a lot of work and they're important and you need to be on top of it yes um the second thing i'd say with the Bryles stuff i have a quote hanging up here that it reminded me of where it says victimhood is optional that's uh, something that i 
subscribe to. And it just blows my mind that there are people in sports that still consider him, like him, the victim in this scenario, like his profession was taken away from him. The totality of what happened to Baylor is insane. And throw on top of that, like a, the coach that hired him, and he was my guy, I should just be upfront about that. I've written about a, him, his mental health, like a, we're in pretty fairly regular contact, but to have a foundation that's stated ethos is what it is, you know? And the guy of all guys to be your offensive coordinator before the whole thing gets walked back. I mean, that is a that's the definition of a self-inflicted wound. I mean, you can't you can't make it harder on yourself than that sequence of events, you know. And then um, the other thing I would say is what comes to mind to me in a positive sense out of this is Colin Kaepernick. You know, I did a story a couple of years ago. He doesn't talk about any of this, which that's like a good baseline starting point for running a foundation while you are or have been an athlete. In fact, a couple of years ago, Ben Baskin and I went to trace the million dollars that he donated to various causes. And the idea was to tell his story through the organizations he gave money to and what they did with the money. And, you know, they had a whole process. You had to pitch them. You had to explain your organization, where the money would go. It was like effective you know, charitable endeavors. And it spoke to Colin's story, I think, in a way that nothing has, you know, because it showed his intention behind it, how involved he was and what the money did. And it was all these really like cool things. And they're like literally emailing Colin Kaepernick. And yes, just yesterday I was talking to my boss about this because now he's going to fund autopsy reports for people that need him you know, um, in um, under-resourced communities where they can't get a real answer to these things that happen. That's beautiful to me. So it's just interesting that we're in this calculus where a guy who got fired for running a program where he had no oversight over terrible things that happened to women over a long time can consider himself a victim based on the fact he hasn't been able to coach something stupid called football the guy that runs a foundation to ostensibly help women who have been victims uh, hires this guy as an offensive coordinator, ostensibly to redeem him. Then it comes out that his foundation does nothing. And the news cycle is all this stuff, right? Like I was just watching uh, Baylor, Texas, you know, this morning and across the ticker, it's Bryles, Bryles, Bryles. Let's shift that spotlight. Let me get on my soapbox here. Like let... Kaepernick and the work he's doing, you know, the, the foundations that really dig in and have an impact in their community, the guys who don't do this stuff for publicity or Instagram posts or whatever you see, like I want, I, I actually want to write more about them because this is a, this is a thing that's sort of interesting, right? You mentioned it, there's platform, there's eyeballs, there's followers. The guys who do this well, I, I have a lot of respect for them because you could do it halfway well. You could hire your brother. You could pay your executive director more than they should make. And we found that over and over again when we did this stuff. It was actually pretty easy to find like examples of it being bad. And it's actually pretty difficult to find examples of when they were good. And so, you know, like uh, you just inspired me today. I'm going to try to focus on the ones that do it right because we can write about the ones that do it wrong every day for the rest of our lives and we still never run out of material. So there we go. Pretty helping people's lives change with one podcast here. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm glad that it had that effect on you. I'm going to continue to make fun of idiots. Like that's... <laughs> <laughs> 
I think we should start because... a Danny a Danny O'Neill Foundation. Locks of hair, you know, for <laughs> young children that are in need of it. You know, yeah. Dear God, we need to keep me away from the youth. <laughs> there's 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 no need for that. Uh, Maybe the Greg... opening of your uh, opening of your New Yorker profile. You know, the sports writer <laughs> stands at the front of the school auditorium. The woman yeah, takes out the scissors. You know, they drop they drop the bag down. Snip, 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 snip. I haven't thought about Russell in weeks, he says. You know, anyway, sorry for the tangent, but yeah. Uh, Greg, it's really fun to talk to you. Um, and let's do this again. This is a blast, I, but I'm really grateful for your time. Hey, thanks for having me, Danny. I love all the stuff you're doing. And, uh, you know, keep me in mind for when Has I your shirt come out. yet? You know, yeah. Yeah, I haven't got it yet. But as you see, I only rep free shirts. This is Alex Smith free so sports writers never buy anything i just wear every t-shirt that comes in the mail i've heard my 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 niece and nephew got them on i think it was on sunday so it should be it should be it should be there this week uh awesome thanks very much thanks brother appreciate you that is episode eight of the dang apostrophe also known as the first one with music let me know what you thought about the the intro song yoga dogs by all good folks uh, little Pete Carroll drop. I'll incorporate some more sound that I've accumulated over the years, and we'll keep going. I've also I've got I've got an interview from the just before the Seahawks Broncos Super Bowl. Um, it involves uh, Denver Post columnist Richard Sherman and me getting called a weak white man. Uh, that's either coming out later this week or next week. Uh, stay tuned. Look forward to talking to you soon.